0: Good morning. good morning. It is so good to see all of you um, and good to rejoice in the one who paid it all. Um, well, as we uh, get started and uh, as we read in our passage this morning, you can, if you'd like to follow along, we'll be in Luke chapter five. Uh, over a decade ago, on the day of my oldest son's fifth birthday, I didn't ask him if I could tell the story, so sorry, Where he's somewhere around here, there he is. Um, uh, it, was, it was one of those idyllic uh, family Saturdays. We had three little ones at the time, um, and so such a celebratory day uh, called for family time, hanging out, uh, and of course, a trip to Chili's for the birthday lunch, late birthday lunch, and, and, and there, my son Judah, uh, he ate like a birthday king, right? Chips and salsa before the meal, pizza, I'm sure probably had french fries on the side, whatever the kids' meals come with on the side, all chased down by a chocolate milkshake. Uh, No judgment, please, parents. Uh, You turned five once too. Um, And we capped off the day uh, in a great way with a family bike ride. Uh, Judah was in his final weeks on training wheels, mom and dad, on our own bike, and then our youngest two, Cain uh, and Annie at the time, they, they were our youngest two, and they were in, in the cart behind uh, Amy's bike, um, and we're riding around the neighborhood together, and, and it, the evening sun is beginning to come down, and it's just this beautiful, wonderful day for a minute. Um, but as Judah finished a few final circles in front of the house, this was a good way to end the bike ride, um, he took one turn a little fast, a little faster than the training wheels would allow. And there he went forward and to the right, spilling out on the concrete. And as a dad, I could see it was kind of, it, was, it, was like it, it wasn't a hard fall, but it was an awkward fall. And so I jogged over to see how he was doing. I could tell the crying was about to start, but he was short of breath. So I think, I, I think the handlebar kind of gut punched him on the way down. So like a good dad, I scooped him up to make sure he was okay. I held him as he cried. I inspected for cuts like you're supposed to do, right? But I missed one important sign. He had that wild look in his eye, and I missed that, saying, something's not quite right. And as I held him and I looked him in the eye just to see if he was okay, he vomited on my face. (laughs) Welcome back, Chili's milkshake. I'm sure you were much better the first time. From there, I I tried to maintain my composure, I think. I quickly sat him back down so that he could gain his composure, and I made the slow walk of shame back to the house, warning the rest of the family as I walked by them, hey, stay away, this isn't time for hugs, you don't wanna touch me, I'm headed to the shower, my clothes will need their own shower. Uh, I was infected. Uh, And running water was the only solution. Uh, But unlike vomit, that's a great way to start a sentence. Uh, But unlike vomit, certain things don't wash off so easily. Certain illnesses and diseases run much deeper than dirty skin or a dirty shirt. Today, Jesus comes face to face with a man who was truly filthy, Christ's interaction with a leper has a lot to teach us, I think, about the pain and stigma of human filth, but even more so about the hope of truly becoming clean. So, as we look at Jesus and the leper in Luke 5, I want us to see four things today. Number one, the faith of the filthy. Number two, two steps to clean. Number three, both willing and able. And number four, the testimony of the formerly filthy. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, would you now meet with us through your word? God, would you remove from my lips anything that would not be true and would you speak by your spirit your truth to us? Give us ears to hear, give us hearts that would receive um, and help us uh, to rest in your healing power. We see it today as we look together at your word. We love you. Do this for us today by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. So number one, the faith of the filthy. As we read in verse 12, we see that while he was in one of the towns, a man was there. This is he, Jesus, was in one of the towns. A man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Something we haven't talked about a lot in Luke Uh, is that there are some stories in Luke that don't always line up chronologically as you compare them with Matthew and Mark, uh, the other synoptic gospels. Uh, The synoptic gospels are all all the gospel accounts except for John, and they're called that because they they cover a lot of the same material, uh, though definitely not each story the same. But there's no real consensus as to which is always in the right order, uh, which is always chronological. Uh, And here's why that's important as we move from scene to scene. There's a reason that, that Luke arranges these encounters the way that he does. Why? Because as, as he said early in the book, at the very beginning, he's carefully compiled what he's put together, right? He's got an eyewitness accounts of what happened uh, to Jesus in his ministry, and he's created an orderly account, he said. But the word orderly doesn't necessarily mean sequential. Uh, he's organizing them, so they are orderly, but he's organizing them for a purpose, when my kids were younger, we would play the, the game Uno a lot. Um, I, I'm sure many of you have played Uno. We would play it. We would have played it more, but Uno cards disappear. Where do they go? Like with missing socks somewhere, probably. Uh, but but what do you do when you when you when you deal out the cards in Uno and you get your hand in front of you? What do you do? You organize it, right? You. And if you're really if you're insane, you organize it in numerical order. I don't understand people like that, but. That's, that's good, but, but what you should do is you should organize it how? By color, right? That's how, that's how it should be done. You organize by color, but either way, whether you organize it by number or by color, uh, it doesn't change the hand, right? The hand is still the hand. Uh, you haven't changed the cards, but the arrangement helps your eyes to see it. You pick up the patterns. You see the things you need to see, and, and I think sometimes by the Spirit's leading, Luke arranges these stories in a way that will help our brains pick up the patterns, I say all that because I think it's significant that at the end of the last section that we read last week of chapter five, as we saw Jesus calling his disciples to follow him, commissioning them as fishers of people, remember what, what happened, what did he do? He showed up and they've had an unsuccessful night of fishing. They're probably tired, so what does he do? He climbs on the boat, he teaches them for a minute, and then he says, hey, I want you to cast your nets uh, on this side of the boat. And they're like, we've done this all night long. Uh, and of course, they do it, and what happens? They pull in the biggest like, net-busting catch of fish they've ever seen. And it's in that moment that Peter realizes Jesus is something. He's something special. There's something going on with him. And what, what, does, he, what does Peter say? He says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man, Lord. Pastor, Pastor Lawson showed us last week how significant Peter's response really is. As Peter sees Jesus, he drops to his knees as he recognizes who he is. He recognizes his own sinfulness before Jesus. And from his knees, he says, get away from me. I'm sinful, I'm unclean. And I think Luke is about to show us there's more than one faithful response to those who come into contact with the Son of God. And we get to see them here back to back. Peter's response, fall down, get away from me, Lord. I'm sinful. And now Jesus meets this truly unclean man, a man with leprosy. And how does this man respond? He also falls before the Lord, just like Peter, this time with his face down. But instead of saying, Get away from me, he says, If you would be willing, you can make me clean. And don't we feel both of those instincts? Sometimes in the very same moment, even Lord, I'm a wretch. I'm polluted by sinfulness. Why do you even wanna be near me? But also like the second man, Lord, I'm a wretch, I'm unclean, but I need you with me. Only you can fix me. In one breath, Lord, get away from me, I'm unclean. In the other breath, Lord, I need you with me. Which one was wrong? Neither, they're both right, we need both. The first one is powerful humility and self-doubt. But the second is great confidence in God. Both rightly seeing the power of Jesus, both crying out, Kyrie, Lord. And I'd ask us, have, have you truly encountered the magnificence of Jesus? And has it rocked you? We talk about Jesus a lot and we can claim to know him, claim to love him, but every now and then do your knees buckle? Do you feel infinitely small when you look at Jesus? Do you look to him and go, "Man, that's too almost too big." And then at the same time, do you feel infinitely cared for and fully loved? And I would suggest that if, if you haven't felt these things, it seems maybe, maybe one of two culprits, could be more. Number one, maybe you've never known it's that vastness. You've never thought about how big he is, how amazing he is, how powerful he is. Or number two, maybe, maybe you think you're okay. I'm, I'm all right, why wouldn't Jesus wanna hang out with me? But, but this is the message of Luke, that Jesus, the great physician, didn't come for the well. For those who see themselves as good no he came for the sick and and this attitude is not like kind of the eeyore syndrome of oh jesus why would you want to have anything to do with me no it's not that it's it's psalm chapter 8 and verse 3 which says when i look at your heavens the work of your fingers when i see how immense you are what is man that you're mindful of him the son of man that you care for him why would you think of me the more I see of you, Lord, the more and uh, the less I measure up. That should drive us to our knees. It should humble us. And today's story should give us courage that if we feel that way, when we feel unworthy before Him, we can cry out, Lord, if anyone can fix me, it's you. That is faith. That's faith out of filth. But what is he asking for? Uh, number two, he wasn't just asking to be clean. He, he needed to be healed. This, the, number two is two steps to clean. This guy wasn't coming in the shadow. Uh, he, there's no way to hide. There's, you have leprosy. You can't get away from it. Uh, leprosy was awful. and It was, it was uh, just so uh, wicked in that way, the way that it would affect people. Let's talk briefly about leprosy. When we think leprosy, we think of a skin disease, which is partially right. Uh, In the Bible, leprosy can range all the way from a a minor disease of the skin, uh, rashes and sores, all the way to the full-blown disease that we refer to as leprosy today. Today, the word leprosy is used mostly about the severe sort. It's a bacterial infection, not only of the skin, but it gets to the nervous system. This form of leprosy doesn't just cause sores and rashes on the skin, but over time, the infection spreads to the bones, causing atrophy of hands and feet, degeneration of eyesight. Even pain sensitivity can go away to the point that some lepers can unknowingly injure themselves. Um, Even then, in this time, when they're outside, even an animal could come and chew off a finger and they wouldn't know it or have felt it. In such cases, leprosy is like a slow motion death sentence. Now, we don't know if this is the sort of leprosy this man had, or if his was a less severe case, but whatever it was, I think Luke is cluing us in that it wasn't minor. Uh, Luke says this man had, had leprosy all over him. This is a more severe word. And then in addition to the physical and the mental breakdown of the disease, uh, because the diseased flesh was seen as, as unclean and as even transmitting disease, family members and, and friends would, would fear contamination. And so God uh, codified protection through the Old Testament law. To prevent the hysteria over who was sick, uh, the, the leprous person would be examined. And if someone was found to have leprosy, uh, they would be deemed unclean and therefore unsafe and would be removed from the community to live outside the gate. They would live in physical and social isolation, no touch, no conversation with family, no community, likely only other lepers around. They weren't allowed to join in worship with the people of God. And when people would come near a leper, they had to cover their mouth and say, unclean, unclean, they had to yell it out. And so you can imagine, of course, the physical and, and mental toll this would take, but also the deep psychological pain and loneliness. Not to mention the stigma of being seen all, everywhere you go as dirty, as disgusting. Some of us had a hard enough time with a COVID quarantine, right? Right? Uh, especially those of of us who weren't even that sick, but you still gotta be alone, right? Some some of us locked in our own rooms in different parts of the houses, Uh, but but we struggled even with that, right? But the the cure for leprosy wasn't just 10 days in your room with Netflix uh, and a negative PCR test. No, the only cure for leprosy was isolation, Time and God's mercy. And if you want to go read the requirement for someone who had leprosy, you can go read uh, It's exhilarating stuff in Leviticus 13 and 14. Uh, The the short of it is, uh, after a time of isolation, the priest would come outside the camp to where the leper was and would examine this person. And if the priest still saw sores, then that was it. They would stay there. But if the leprosy was gone, the priest would say, okay, it looks like you've been healed. Now, if you want to be seen as clean, received back into the community, here's what you have to do. And this, was, uh, this is all from Leviticus 14. This is what God gave to Moses uh, to, to give to the people. Here's what you would have to do if this was you. You gotta go find two birds, some cedar wood, some scarlet and hyssop. The priest would then kill one of the birds and and mix it with the spices, or mix the blood with the spices, and then dip the other bird in the blood of the first. And the priest then would release the living bird and sprinkle the blood on you. Then you go wash your clothes, shave all of your body hair, and wash off in running water. Then you come back and live outside for seven more days then shave all your hair again, including your beard, uh, your eyebrows, wash again, and then take two spotless male lambs and one baby lamb with flour and oil and stand before the Lord at the tabernacle. You'd offer the lamb before the Lord and the priest would then put the lamb's blood on your right ear, your right thumb, and your right big toe. Then he'll do the same with the oil and flour, right ear, right thumb, right big toe. And after all that, the priest will pour oil on your head and then kill the burnt offering for you. And by all this, your uncleanness will be atoned for, covered. That's it. Simple. It's like an afternoon. You can really boil this down to two things. Number one, first, God heals. This is the miracle that only God can do. And then second... The priest pronounces you clean. This is the ritual ministry of the priest, restoring a person to right standing with God and with his people, made clean and and welcomed back into the community. And this isn't too different from the other priestly sacrifices, is it? Remember, it wasn't the priest who forgave sin. It wasn't an animal that atoned for sin. No, the priest simply obeyed, placing the animal on the altar, making an atoning sacrifice for the sinner. But it was God who did the miracle. God was the one who forgave. But that's, but that's not what we're seeing here, is it? This man isn't coming to Jesus, seeing Jesus as a priest, as one who's going to examine him and pronounce him clean. He's not saying that. Hey, Jesus, I need you to help me with this. Do the ritual sacrifices. Help pronounce me as clean. No, this man was not clean. He was not yet healed by God's mercy. Leprosy had not gone away on its own. No, Luke t- tells us it was severe still. It was all over. This is possibly a deathly disease for him. And instead of remaining in isolation where he was supposed to be, keeping his uncleanness away from everyone, where is he? He's in town. And he's at Jesus, he's found him. He should have been shouting out unclean, unclean. That would have been what the words he should have said, warning those who were walking by, but that's not what he's doing, is it? Instead he says to Jesus, Lord, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. What a confession, what belief and trust. You, you can do it, I know you can. This, this man believes that, that Jesus is not the priest who approves the miracle. Jesus is the Lord, the one who does the miracle. What faith, what submission. Because he then follows it up with only if you're willing, Lord. Only by you, because of you, in your power. And so the cure isn't time in isolation. Look, look what Jesus does. Verse Number three, both willing and able. Look at verse 13. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I can't imagine that scene. This may be one of the most jam-packed verses in Luke's gospel. There's so many things in this verse. Uh, But this this man, remember where he was at. This man had been cut off from everyone. Not because of his own sin, but because uh, trouble had come upon him. And I think probably you felt that way. I know I've felt that way at times. Cut off from other people. Like no one can really relate to what I'm going through. No one knows how to step in to what I'm in. Maybe, maybe it's when you walked through a really difficult relational situation. Maybe you walked through a divorce. Maybe you were uh, in, in fostering or adopting children and, and you didn't think, man, nobody really can understand where I'm at. Maybe it was the pain of, losing a family member. Maybe you had a rebellious child that was, that was really struggling. Maybe it was just depression. You felt isolated. E- even in a crowd, isolation seems to be one of the plagues of our modern connected lives. And here we have this isolated leper and he has a gap between him and everyone Maybe wondering if he would ever know what closeness felt like again. And so, how does Jesus answer him? Jesus takes away the gap, he closes the gap. On one side, we have the perfect Son of God, perfection, righteousness personified, the Holy One. And on the other side, it's it's the dirtiest of the dirty, the lowest of the low, no path toward purity, no way to get clean. And Jesus closes the distance. He stretches out his hand and he touches him. I mean, we have to know that people's jaws would have been on the floor. I mean, surely an audible gasp would have come up from those who watched. What is Jesus doing? There's no touching lepers. You don't pat lepers on the back to give comfort. No, touching a leper meant you became a leper. But what happens? Instead of the righteous one being defiled, The defiled one is made clean. Mark's gospel tells us that in this moment, Jesus is filled with compassion. He's not repulsed. He's only brokenhearted for this man. I don't think I would have responded that way. I think my first first response would be, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, I'm that way sometimes when my kids' faces are dirty and they wanna give me a hug. I'm like, hey, just go wash your face and then let's do this. Like, well, let's do the hug, but first, let's... Let's wash faces. Uh, But Jesus is not afraid. He's not afraid of the filth. And he doesn't just close the gap. He doesn't just touch him. Notice what he says. I am willing, be made clean. It might be one of the the best pieces of news ever delivered. I want you to imagine for just a second the most kind, loving person in the world. Full of desire for your good. Willing and ready to bless you, to serve you, full of love and compassion toward you. He sees your sadness and moves toward you. He listens when you call. This person rushes to you in your pain, fully available to you. But now imagine that person is powerless. Unable to help you. No means to feed you when you're hungry. No strength to lift you up when you're weak no power to battle against those who would come against you. This person is unable to save you from the very thing that's destroying you that moment. In fact, this person has easily overcome and destroyed themselves. And now I want you to imagine another person, the most powerful person that you can think of, capable, courageous, able to defeat your, your most strong opponent access to every resource uh, that's available to, to rescue from physical pain, from financial ruin, capable of fixing broken bones. I mean, a true force able to rescue you from the deepest of pits to heal, heal even your emotional trauma and your heartache. And now I want you to imagine that that person is completely indifferent to you. They have no interest no interest in stopping the ones that wish you harm. In fact, sometimes they kind of enjoy seeing you be in harm's way. And when you call out, this person doesn't listen. They just walk past. No compassion for you, no love for you. Rescuing you would be easy for them, but they simply don't want to. But what does Jesus say? I am willing to be made clean. I want what is good for you and I am able to do it. Jesus is the only one, the only one able to rid you of the sin that destroys you. The only one who can heal you of your pride, your lust, your lies, your anger. He is very capable, the most capable. But what good would that be to us if he doesn't will it to be? If he doesn't desire to bring his goodness to our lives, listen, if you feel lost, maybe today you feel crushed and unclean, hear this. Jesus is powerful, yes, but when you cry out, Jesus is willing. He's willing, He has compassion on you. Look what He does. He brings his power to bear on our worst sins. There's no pit so deep that he can't pull us out. No, no sin so dark that he won't hear our cries for help. You have not achieved a degree or a level of filth and defilement that will keep Jesus from, from coming to be with you. Why? Because he's mighty to save, yes, but because he's willing. Well, how do you you know that applies to us? Are you just pulling that out of context here? I, I know it because of what we know of Christ. Romans chapter five, Paul says this of Jesus. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for who? For the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead, while we were filthy, he closed the gap. He stretched out. He stretched his hands out and he died. He was able. But he wasn't just able, he was willing. He did this for us. And lastly, we see the testimony of the formerly filthy. Look in verse 14. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Uh, Before we look at the leper's response, um, we just see some amazing things here about Jesus. I love how Jesus doesn't just stay and soak it all in. He doesn't just go, look at that. My platform is growing. More people are coming in. Everyone wants to be with me. Even when I tell people to be quiet, they still come. Uh, This is, uh, I'm amazing. No, Jesus, the God man, the all powerful one, and in humility says, what I need is not more crowds and adulation. What I need is the rest of being with my father. And he goes to be with the Lord. He goes to his deserted place and prays. It's funny, we say that someone has a Messiah complex when they think they can save everyone. But the actual Messiah would stop from healing everyone because he needed to be with the father. Let's have that kind of Messiah complex. I need my father, just like Jesus, the Messiah. But rather than focusing on Christ's response, which is amazing here, I want us to end today by seeing what we can learn from the response of the leper. If you know the grace of Jesus, if you you have been saved and you've seen his grace, then I think you have a lot in common with this guy. I love how Jesus told him, tell no one, which sounds a little bit like what Jesus said to the demons a few weeks ago. Hey, keep it down. I've, got, I've still got ministry to do. It's not time yet, but I, I don't even, I'm not even sure that's what's happening here. I, yes, I do think Jesus is trying to stave off the mad rush of the crowd, but, but mostly I think Jesus is teaching this man something. Uh, he's saying, you've only done part of the protocol, the divine part, the healing, but there's a second part that, that requires more than just you. So so where does Jesus send him? You still need to go see the priest. That's where he sends him. You need to go do the sacrifices. You need to go through the ritual with the blood and the ear and all that stuff. You need to do the whole thing. Why? Because the priest is going to agree that you are clean. He's going to see you and know you're clean. This is how Moses let them reaffirm and and affirm that someone really was clean. He'll affirm what the Lord has done, that's priest will, and he'll welcome you back in. He'll bring you back into the community. And why is that important? Because Jesus didn't just heal the leper to set him free from pain. No, he saved him to be a part of a people. He saved him to be part of a family. He didn't only care about this guy's physical relief. He wanted him relationally whole, supported, cared for by the people of God. This is, this is where God had made him to live. And isn't that what's true for us? Jesus healed you. He forgave you. And then where does he send us? He sends us to the community. Jesus says in verse 14 that this leper's life is going to serve as a testimony to them. As a testimony to who? Yes, the priests, but also to the rest of the community. Testifying of what? A testimony of the greatness of the priests? A testimony uh, of the scary story of what could happen if you become a leper? No, a testimonial of the cleansing mercy of God. And this would be this guy's story for years. This would be the story of his life as he walked around in the community of God's people. Every time they see him, upright, walking, healthy. Remember when Jesus healed that guy? That was crazy. He had leprosy all over him. But Jesus did that. Christian, the Lord didn't rescue you. He didn't forgive you just so that you could rest in peace. Yes, we wanna rest in Jesus, but rest in peace. That's, that's, we put that on tombstones, right? That's at the end. Uh, we're gonna rest in him eternally. He rescued you, he blessed you so that you could come and be a blessing. This is what the church is. Look around, we are a, a veritable storybook of the testimonies of God's grace. Every time we're around one another, it's another reminder. Oh yeah, God saved her, that's right. Another reminder, Jesus made him clean, I remember. Remember when their child was sick and we prayed and the Lord showed mercy. Remember when he lost his job and the Lord came through. He rallied some of us together and we were able to be a part of his mercy. Remember when she came She was angry at God. She was unable to forgive. Oh, but we saw what the Lord did. We saw the Lord open her eyes to see his kindness, to see how he forgave her. And man, he's changed her. Remember his addiction, remember her grief, his manipulation, all healed, all forgiven. Look around come in, look around at the healing power of God. The power of God to make clean. We're a pile of testimonies to the healing, cleansing, saving power and grace of the Father. And he's made us to bring our testimony back to the community. To do what? To praise him in the assembly of the saints. Psalm 35 says. To comfort those in affliction with the comfort that we ourselves were comforted by with God. 2 Corinthians 1. But this man's testimony wasn't only to the community. Look who else showed up. In verse 15, news spread, large crowds came. I think this is showing us that we can go to the unclean. We can go to the unclean. In Mark's account of the story, we learn that as soon as he actually left Jesus' sight, this guy was telling everybody. And it's, it's funny, it's really hard to see this as sinful and Luke doesn't even really seem concerned with that. But why? Because how would you keep that to yourself anyway? You were, your limbs were withering. Your body was covered in sores and now you're fine. This man had been living in an isolation camp full of defiled people. How's he not gonna say something? How's he not going to say something about it? If your friends were all, if you and your friends were starving somewhere and you found a bakery, what are you gonna do? You're gonna make sure your friends know. You want, you want everyone to know some of us have been saved so long that we forgot what it's like to be lost. Yes, he cleansed us, but even still, somehow the dirt of others can repulse us. Why do you think that is? Maybe the story of a leprous man can help to remind us of what it was to be made clean. I don't know for you, maybe there are certain types of people that for you feel unclean. People that you would just rather not rub shoulders with. Christians are often fearful to engage sinners or those not like them. We, we can be prone in our sin to keep our distance. Do not forget, Christian, that you were defiled. You were cast out. You were the, you were the leper. And Jesus healed you. He brought you in. And Jesus, the clean one, the one who, who wasn't defiled, he's our example. He's the one showing us how to, lead, to go out. He leads the way. When everyone keeps their distance, our Savior's leading the way in. So where is He leading us? Where is He leading you? Maybe it's a refugee family, maybe it's to a neighbor that you have that's struggling to learn English. Maybe it's an LGBT friend or a family member who just needs to hear of God's grace. Maybe it's a friend at school, kids. Maybe it's somebody that sits alone at their lunch table every day. Maybe it's a Mormon friend. Maybe it's a Hindu or Muslim neighbor or coworker. Maybe it's someone from a different socioeconomic class. Maybe it's that executive on the, uh, with the big house and the fancy car that's what repulses you or the opposite it's the homeless person that you drive past on your way to work every day and that repulses you Whoever the Lord brings to your mind these are the type of people that Jesus came for And so now he sends us They won't make you dirty Many of these situations I described these are not sinful situations These are just people who are isolated. The Lord is with you. You won't get dirty even going to sinners. They won't defile you, but his grace can change them. And it can cleanse them the same way it cleansed you. We see this example in Hebrews 13, where we read of Jesus and his suffering. It says, therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate. This is his crucifixion. So that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. Let's be defiled the same way that he was. The same way that he was. Let's join his suffering. And, wh- and why? How can we do this? Why can we do this? We can do it because he was unclean for us. You see, I think this, the miracle here points forward. Usually the one who, jo- who touched the leper would join them. They themselves would be unclean, defiled, cut off. And Jesus touches this man. He heals him. But our problem goes deeper. Our problem goes deeper than a skin problem, than an infection of the body. Jesus is going to say it's our very hearts that are unclean. The infection stretches to our core. So to make you clean, Jesus went outside the camp. He stepped into the dirt. He took on flesh he became your defilement. He willingly took the shame of your lust, the guilt and stigma of your angry outbursts, your addictions. He received the punishment for your lying, for your self righteousness. We, we quote this verse a lot. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5 that the one who never sinned, he became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness, the cleanness of God. First Peter two says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, you've been healed. And oh, he suffered isolation. He was isolated from those he loved, even from his own father. Isaiah described Jesus as one from whom men hid their faces. Even his own followers, right? They denied him as he headed to the cross. And he wasn't just isolated outside the city gate. No, Isaiah goes on to say, he was cut off from the land of the living. He became unclean all the way to the grave, the most unclean place of all. Why? To cleanse you completely. Completely to wash you clean, to make you white as snow, the psalm says. If you've trusted Jesus, that's you. You've been cleansed, healed. May that give you rest. Yes, we still sin. Yes, we still struggle, but we have been bought with a price. He is sanctifying us and one day we will be free from the presence of sin, cleansed forever. But maybe maybe you've never believed. Maybe you've never been healed, been cleansed. Maybe you feel like you can't escape the burden of your own sin. You feel shameful. You feel the dirt and the the weight of your sin. Cry out. That's what all of us had to do. That's what all of us have to do. We cry out to Jesus to save us. And when you do that, guess what? He's willing. He's willing. He's able. He can make you clean and he will. In just a minute, we're gonna take communion and, and there'll be people in the back that wanna pray with you. If you don't know how to talk to Jesus, if you don't know how to ask him to, to make you clean, they'll pray with you, they'll help you, they'll talk to you. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that the story of, of a man who was unclean by every standard of the world, who was shamed and cut off that he could cry out and Jesus heard him. And Father, we, we can see in that the very real truth that we were cut off. And that as we cry out, Jesus hears us. In your mercy, you've saved us. You've bought us by the blood of Jesus. We can now be alive. We can have a new life. And So Lord, we, we praise you today. We thank you. Thank you that we, you cleansed us by your own blood, by the blood of your son. So would you lead us now to be those who rejoice in our cleansing and those who go to those who need to hear. We praise you in Christ's name, amen.